Welcome to the Science of Mentorship. It can be daunting to enter the academic world, especially for students who have identities that are not well represented. Without proper encouragement, the obstacles they face can seem insurmountable. Dr. Jim Gates experienced this throughout his long, distinguished career, a career in which he was often the only African-American among his peers. But more than once, he was guided by the right person at the right time telling him that, yes, he could do this. Professor Gates is known for his groundbreaking work on supersymmetry, supergravity, and superstring theory. He received his Ph.D. from MIT in 1977, where his doctoral thesis was the first to ever explore supersymmetry. In 2013, Dr. Gates was elected into the National Academy of Sciences and was awarded the National Medal of Science by President Barack Obama. Jim's father never graduated from high school, but that didn't matter. It was important to him that his children understood how valuable education was. You see, my first mentor was my father because he, he just did the right thing for his son. I mean, my father did for me things that are the foundation of my work as a theorist. When I was beginning school, I would ask my father all kinds of questions. And to my recollection, he could answer them all. And so my father never finished high school. So when I was in about 40, in my 40s, mid 40s, I began to wonder, was my memory faulty or did, had he actually answered the question? So one day on a visit to, with my father, I, I said, Dad, do you remember me having questions when I was in first, second, third grade? Lots of questions. And he said, yes. And I said, do you remember answering all of them? And he said, yes. And I said, how did you do that? And he said, what you don't remember is that if I couldn't answer a question, I would say, hold off. And what you don't know is that that hold off gave me time over the next day or so to go and find the answers to your question. And so we would resume the conversation. I would give you the answers. And the thing that I took away from that experience is that my questions always have answers. And that's a driving force to becoming a physicist. So that's what I mean by my father was my first mentor because he did all of these things. The first mentors, if a child is fortunate, will be parents, either a father or mother or uncle or a grandfather. Somewhat, some family member will be that first mentor. Jim's love of science began early, an early passion his father would remember and nurture. My father was in the U.S. Army for 27 years, and as a consequence, when I was four years old, I was living on an Army base in Canada, St. John's, Newfoundland. And I was the oldest of three children when we got there, four by the time we left. And my mother took her children to see a movie one day. It was the first movie I have any recollection of seeing, and I think it might have been the first movie I ever saw. But in the movie, I saw astronauts, I saw space launches, I saw countdowns. And for whatever reason, at age four, I figured out that this thing called science that they kept talking about in the movie was a gateway to adventures and fun. And what four-year-old boy wouldn't want to live a life having adventure and fun? 
Four years later, however, I was living in, in Texas, Fort Bliss, essentially in El Paso, Texas. And I was in school learning to read and write and do arithmetic. And the arithmetic part was actually very easy as far as I could tell. It was very straightforward. We never had any problem with that. But the reading part was a real challenge. And so my father, always being highly involved in all of his children's education, went to my, with my mother, they talked to my teacher, and the teacher said, if you bring him some books home on something that he is interested in, I bet he'll learn to read. Well, my father remembered that his four-year-old son was interested in rockets and space travel. And so he brought home these books on rockets and space travel. And very shortly thereafter, I was a very proficient reader. Years later, as a teenager, Jim was fascinated by space, rockets, and the science behind them. And just like his love for science, his academic future was also inspired by what he saw on screen. When I was 14, I, like most teenagers, watched a fair amount of television. And there was a television program called Make Room for Daddy. And in one episode, the family of the main character had a cousin that came to visit him. And the cousin was supposed to be a kid genius. And so I heard from that program that there's this um, college where, at least in my interpretation, they only make you study math and science. That's what I call the good stuff. And so I had an answer to a question that my father had been asking us ever since we were six years old, which is what college do you want to go to? And for me, it was MIT, because that was the place. Jim Gates lived in the segregated South and attended a segregated high school, but he still found unique opportunities that helped refine his passion for science. Segregation had this really strange effect that highly qualified African-Americans couldn't get jobs elsewhere except sometimes in the school. And so as a consequence, my physics teacher actually had an undergraduate degree in physics. He actually knew physics. This is something that is extraordinarily rare in our country today, where you meet it doesn't, it's not restricted by race, but if you meet any kids in high school, ask them, does your physics teacher actually have a degree in physics? And the vast majority will say no. But I had this fantastic teacher, Mr. Freeman Coney, and within two weeks entering his course, I knew it was not all of science that I wanted to do, but physics that I wanted to do. High school focused his attention on physics, but it also made him aware of the barriers faced by African-Americans who wanted to pursue higher education. He began to think his dreams were unreachable. Yet once again, his father's attention and encouragement played a crucial role in his direction. I applied to MIT, but my father had to force me to do it. Even though at age 14, I was dreaming about going to MIT. By the time I was uh, 18 or so, I knew what the barriers were against African-Americans going to places like MIT. And so he literally had to force me to put the application in and since he had been in the army, uh, we didn't have the high kind of household where you debated with your with dad what was going to happen. And so in the fall of 1969, I wound up as a freshman at MIT. It was a dream come true. Jim discovered right away that the MIT coursework wasn't easy but he was encouraged to persevere thanks to two instructors who, like him, were underrepresented in the field. The summer before I went to MIT, I met Dr. Shirley Jackson. 
And she's an African-American who is currently the president of Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. She was my physics teacher that summer. It was the hardest physics class I had ever taken. At the halfway point, there was a quote unquote midterm and she called me into her office to, to see her because she did all the students. And so I walked into her office and she was there with my test looking at it. And she said, uh, Mr. Gage, you, you really didn't do well on this test, did you? And I said, I guess not. But I said, I want to be a physicist. And she looked at me and she said, oh, really? And so that was the first encouragement I got at MIT. My freshman year, Dr. Vera Kistiakowski, she was my physics recitation instructor. And halfway through the semester, I wasn't doing well. So it was a kind of same story with Dr. Jackson, but she was encouraging. And at the end of the semester, when I walked in to get my final exam grade, she was smiling, beaming at me. And she said, Mr. Gates, you did it. And that was just one of the greatest things that ever happened to me to, to have this teacher who was rather stern looking with a smile on her face because I had gotten an A on the final exam. So there were people at MIT who were encouraging. Faculty kept encouraging Jim, and in 1977, he was the only African-American to receive a PhD in physics at MIT. I'm the first member of my family ever to go to college. What I got my PhD doing, no one in the faculty knew anything about it. And in fact, as I had defended my thesis, Professor Ernie Moniz was on my thesis defense committee. And even though he and the rest of the faculty members didn't know what I did, it was clear that I knew what I was doing. And he said at the end of it, something that talked about encouragement, he said it was the best thesis defense he had ever seen. And again, as a young, as the only African-American graduate in uh, all the people getting a PhD in physics, to hear that kind of praise from a professor is so valuable. I mean, I can't express the value of that. This last bit of encouragement was more than just a simple compliment. It encouraged Dr. Gates to apply to a challenging postdoc fellowship where he found others to collaborate with. I went off to Harvard, continuing to do stuff that no faculty member did, but I did meet another postdoc who knew something about what, we were, what I was doing. And so we joined, we formed a two-party collaboration, started doing research. We attracted a graduate student at Harvard. The postdoc was a guy named Warren Siegel, the graduate student was Martin Rochak. And we also got a professor at Brandeis interested in what we were doing. And his name is Mark Grissero. And so at the time when I was at Harvard, we were the only people there working on this subject called supersymmetry. Well, it turns out supersymmetry is actually the foundation of string theory. So we had gotten a jump on the field just because we were picking the right things. And Warren and I did some work extending Einstein's theory of gravitation. And Murray Gelman, who was a professor at Caltech, and John Schwartz, who would ultimately invent superstring theory, became aware of our work. And so after the postdoc at Harvard ended, uh, the two of us, Warren and myself, were invited to come to Caltech. While I was at Harvard, I found out last year, I was the first African-American scientist that had ever been a junior fellow. And when I, I found out this past year, that I was the first African-American postdoc that the Division of Math and Physical Sciences and Astronomy ever hired at Caltech. Those collaborations led to Dr. Gates' next opportunity, 
taking him to a place where some of the most famous physicists in the world guided him. At Caltech, I met Richard Feynman. I had some interesting interactions with Richard Feynman, who was a fantastic physicist and a good mentor to a crazy African-American kid named Jim Gates. The first time I met him, I had this huge afro. There were pictures of me from that period, and I had this huge circular spherical afro. And the first thing that Feynman ever said to me was, when I was your age, I wanted to wear my hair just like that. <laughs> and I died laughing because when he said it, I had this picture of, of Feynman with an afro. <laughs> and so all along the way, even though there was nobody who looked like me around me, there were always one or two people and people that I had extraordinarily high opinions of who said, kid, you can actually do this. They didn't literally say it, but they did it like Feynman making the joke about the Afro or, or Vera actually smiling about my homework. I, I was very fortunate. Dr. Gates' role models and mentors gave him the support needed for him to develop his own identity as a scientist, and they helped him thrive in these scientific environments. He learned how valuable that support could be. And I often tell young people of color that mentoring is something you have to be open to receiving because you may not find anyone who looks like you. And it's, it's a little hard to get by if no one supports you. It's like learning to breathe in outer space. Well, you can actually learn to breathe in outer space if you get a little bit of help. That's what I learned in that period. Today, Professor Gates offers critical support to many students and professionals. He acknowledges their unique backgrounds and identities and caters to the need of each individual. I do have the reputation of being a better than just average mentor, and I take great pride in that. You sort of pick up the knack of, A, trying to figure out what a young person needs at a particular point in their life, trying to map that perhaps onto what you needed at a similar point, and then trying to Tell a story about what you did that got you to the next phase. Times have changed. The support that Dr. Gates received has, in his eyes, become a key part of science academia. As I think about my colleagues I, and mentoring, what I see is that my younger colleagues are much more committed to being great mentors than most of my colleagues in my cohort. So we can see that there's an improvement. There's a consciousness among younger, in physics, a consciousness of younger faculty that the teaching part of our profession is something that needs to be as diligently sought in terms of levels of excellence as the excellence that we commit in doing our research. And that is so inspiring to see. A lot of faculty today are more intentional about supporting their students emotionally and professionally. Professor Gates knows, however, he could have been better at engaging in mentorship. If I were to have a time machine and be able to travel back to young Jim Gates as he was uh, in his first and second year of uh, university training, I, there were a couple of things I would tell that kid. One of them is to actually be open to being mentored. This is something that is extraordinarily important to, to have a mindset that in order to reach my goals, I'm going to need help. And there are good people in the world 
independent of differences of ethnicity, gender, whatever way we humans decide to divide our identities. But you have to believe that there are good people on all sides. And if you're a young person who needs that help, you have to actually be actively looking for those people who don't look like you, who you know, might come from a different country, might be a different gender or different ethnicity, but you've got to actively be looking for them. And when they show up, you have to be able to recognize that this is someone who's going to help me. That was one of the most important things that I bumped into as a young person. But I would tell that to the young Jim Gates because he was afraid, he was afraid quite frankly, that there wouldn't be good people on all sides, that there would be people that were the kind that thought slavery was okay, thought Jim Crow was okay, and that they could inhabit places like MIT. He had that fear. Students now come to Professor Gates with their goals and dreams. He refuses to push them on paths they're not passionate about. Well, young people ask me, so, well, how do you decide what to major in? I say, that's the wrong question. The question you should ask is, what lies closest to my heart's desire in terms of what I am working on? Because if you can identify that subject, and if you are as passionately involved in that as I have been, what happens is kind of straightforward. Because you love it, you'll work really hard at it. And if you're of even modest intellect and ability, it means you're going to get really, really good at that thing. But if you get really, really good at that thing, other people will notice. And so that's the secret to success is actually to find that passion that will drive your intellectual involvement. When passions of students are fully recognized and supported, students are more likely to succeed and continue exploring these passions in STEM. Throughout his career, many people provided Dr. Jim Gates the support and encouragement he needed to overcome obstacles and achieve his dreams. Each of them provided unique support, and now, as a mentor, he tries to do the same for his students. His goal? To help them discover their passions and go further in science. Students from diverse backgrounds shouldn't enter academia feeling as if they don't belong. With the right encouragement, the kind that Dr. Gates' mentors gave to him, students can exceed their own expectations and achieve their dreams in STEM. To learn more about the science of effective mentorship and for a guide to implementing best practices in your STEM environment, visit nas.edu mentoring.